Hey, I'm Zach Tan. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a celebration of the photographers who have dedicated their lives to pushing boundaries and uncovering the beauty in the everyday. We'll explore the journeys that brought them here, from their humble beginnings to the pivotal moments that shaped their artistic vision. This is Picturing Conversations. Amrita always had a way with people, and it is truly evident in the images she captures. She's known for incredible work in the realm of documentary photography. Having captured many stories that offers glimpses to a reality that is both breathtaking and heartbreaking. She's a contributor to National Geographic Travel, and also a member of Women Photograph. So, could you say hi to our listeners, and tell us who you are? Hi everyone, <laughs> um, I'm Amrita. And I've been a documentary photographer for the past seven years now. Um, never imagined I would be a photographer. <laughs> um, wow. It was something that built and came along over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Besides documentary photography, I also um, photograph like commercially as mm. well. And I also teach photography in different schools. Wow, yeah. exciting. Okay, we can go deeper into that yeah. soon. <laughs> but let's just start by going way mm-hmm. back. Mm. You know, like, because, I mean, I'm going to ask this question because, mm. you know, you're a documentary photographer mm. and I've seen your works and, you know, I could feel a lot of empathy and you mm. probably have to know how to how people feel. You mm. have to make people feel comfortable around you. Mm. So, and a lot of that has to do with your upbringing, right? Like your childhood and all that. Yeah. If you could go way back, do you think, you know, your childhood has any effects on that? And yeah, how was your childhood like, basically? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that my both my parents are one of the biggest influences in my life. And in a way, um, my dad, uh, he used to work as an infographic uh, journalist for Straits Times for like cool. 40-something years. And he was a very creative weird artistic I've been weird in a good way um I mean he introduced me to watch MTV like at a really young age and he was very open-minded and I think he subconsciously trained me so he used to bring me out a lot and he would make me observe like the light um the expression on people's faces and um you know the colors like textures and I think that made me more observant in that way. And he also was very um, obsessive in documenting every moment. So actually, I used to be quite annoyed to have the camera in my face. I'd be like, wow, stop it. Yeah. But never imagined that I would pick it up one day. And then I think the empathy side probably comes from my mom. I, I mean, I know everyone has a lot of mostly have good yeah. things to say about their parents most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, my mom is, um, she's very giving. She's very kind. She's very, um, 
I don't know how to explain. I mean, at some point during my teenage years, of course, she was different, lah. Huh? But <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> she was quite, yeah. She was really strict. Strictly. But like just seeing how she treated everyone, and I think she always said this: like even if an enemy comes to your doorstep, you if they ask for water, you must give them water. It's like wow. you cannot turn them away. You know. So mm. I think it's all these little little things that influenced me over the years, and I think. It's a very nice combination from yeah. both sides, I mm. guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking of your mom, like you know, I was just looking through your mm. works and I saw that yeah. she's in your photographs some, sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, how does that work? Like, how does she respond to the camera? Uh, I think because of my dad, she's so used, so to, used to the camera that she's not very faced about it anymore. And it's she. I mean, in the beginning, there used to be a lot of like putting the hands up. And you know, like the, oh, yeah, the cheese, cheese, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think she's quite the natural, and it's if it's a portrait, uh, it's very easy to direct her. She doesn't get so awkward in front mm. of the camera. But it, again, I think it's training. She's well trained. She's well trained. <laughs> I mean, actually, that's the way my dad was like asking my mom out in the oh. initial stages. Like he used to draw a lot of portraits of her, but also take pictures of her. She wow. was quite shy, but he was like, "Come on, we need to go out before we get married," you know. Because, anyways, <laughs> uh, so I think it all started from there, and um, yeah, she's very—I would—I don't know if "easy" is the right word, but it's very pleasant. It's a nice experience mm. photographing her, and um, as she goes about with her rituals of the day, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I ask that because I do that a lot myself. Mm. So when I take pictures of my mom, yeah, somehow. Um, How's that? <laughs> She's always quite against it. Oh, it's really? Like, oh, no, not again, not again. But whenever I take a nice picture, mm. she'll be happy. So, she'll you know, be happy, yeah. Yeah, they say that they don't want it, but actually they do want it. I so feel. what's the approval for you then? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I just, I mean, I'm doing something whereby I just kind of take a picture of her in the same spot every day. It's mm -hmm. been a long time running. It's mm -hmm. been about two years that I've been mm -hmm. doing it. And it's fun, la, really. Yeah, but it's more for me. So mm. that, you know, once once she's old and once I have my kids, yeah. you know, I can just show all Always pictures, look back right? at those pictures, yeah, which are sure. really precious. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of which, then, uh, do you have an earliest memory of you and a camera? Like, how the do you earliest. even pick up a camera for the first time? You were saying that your dad uh, yeah, influenced so, you, right? Um, I, I, when I was younger, I did pick it up, but I didn't even know what I was doing with it. I was just like having fun. And then what happened was, I was in LaSalle and <laughs> doing a completely different course, uh, arts management. And then oh. we were told to look for internships at that point. So I interned at this place, which is still existent. I think it's Free State Site Productions or is it Free State? Pro Free State Site Free Productions. Oh. I've never heard. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but they've done a lot of like mm. really cool stuff. And uh, I mean, I was like the lowest, like, the person just, you know, buying the tea or, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. getting the, like the, the, runner. The, the outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically the runner. Mm. Um, I don't think I did a great job at all. <laughs> I was horrible. Running. <laughs> I was really bad. Like, I think I screwed up quite a bit. But oh. they were very, like, forgiving. And what happened was the, the others on the team, they were all carrying film cameras on the side Whoa. and they were all taking pictures and discussing and you know slowly I started to try to understand what were they getting into what was that all about but I think it really struck me when Russell who 
who is one of the owners of uh, the founders of Free State Side Productions, um, he had a really beautiful black and white image of a mother holding on to the hands of her son, and it's set in in Istanbul. And um, I don't know, I just couldn't stop looking at the picture. There was a sense of mystery to it. And I really wanted to find out who who, who was she? What was she feeling? What yeah. was going on? And it was very enigmatic in that way. Mm. And just really the details. I mean, it was just so unforgettable. It's still etched into my mind. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I, I guess in that seeking and searching, I, I went back home and mm. I started to pick up my dad's camera. And I just started experimenting uh, I went for like a course. Well, I can't remember the name, but it's like <laughs> this photography school, which I think it's still existent. It's somewhere on Bras Basar Road. Okay. But I didn't understand what the hell he was talking about. It's not like, a part of objectives. No, no, no. What, right? It was not part of objectives then. Like oh. this was completely different. It's like a one-off thing. Yeah. But I was like, wow, it's still fascinating. Even though I don't know what he's saying, but I took all the concepts and then slowly applied and then just practice, practice. And then, just went out and honestly, honestly, I wasn't so stressed out about the technical aspect. I was mm. just like, you know, just watch out. It. Yeah, just feeling it. Watch out for where the light is and just go along with it. Yeah. So I think that is something I would really push for anyone who's trying or experimenting mm. with photography. Just don't get caught up too much yeah. with the technical aspect of yeah. it. I think, yeah. Because it's very crippling, right? Like once you get into all the details, all the nitty gritty. Yeah, like your, your, it's it's, your it's a bit too the, like oh, what's the gears aperture? The gears, stuff. like yeah. honestly, I for me, I really love to keep it very minimal. Simple. Yeah, yeah, simple. Yeah, I, I think that's more authentic as well. Absolutely, right? like I don't know how to explain. Yeah, I just you don't get caught up with it. Even now, when I teach photography, I'm like learn to fall in love with light and mm. moments before even getting caught up with all these technical yeah. aspects you know just like, cover the basis first yeah set your foundation, right? yeah right, nice. so i mean it's so nice to hear that you know one f one photograph you saw hanging on a wall yeah triggered all these things and then as a result of that we could see all of your works today uh, yeah i think so do you think that as any you know um kind of was it a contributing factor to mm. why you eventually kind of moved to uk to study um, you did photojournalism, right? Mm, so before I actually did that, I mean, I always wanted to go overseas and I knew I wanted to pursue... At that time, it was still not fixated on photography yet because I was photographing, but I was not showing people my images. I was really shy. Right. Yeah. So it's the Asian <laughs> mindset, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very Asian mindset, very conservative and very... Um, was it very different there though? Like your classmates? Oh my God, 100%. Absolutely different. Like it blew my mind completely. <laughs> like In a good way? In a very good way. I mean, I think, yeah, I was still really shy and at that time I was working in a gallery and I showed a few pictures and they were like, what are you doing? The photos, you should do something. But I still didn't really have that confidence or I didn't still didn't really believe in myself at that point I was like what, what are you saying are you saying that because I'm you know working in this space with you and you're just being friendly yeah, like I, being I nice. didn't have that belief you know um, so I actually went to do I went to study a media and cultural studies course first and 
I was the only student who was combining photos with my ethnography essays. Wow. Um, and I think my lecturer said, hey, I think you're on the wrong course. Uh. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But I mean, it was a great course. Uh, politically, it really, um, I would say, influenced me quite a lot to mm. really understand the landscape of media and how that influences our subconscious mind through text and imagery and of course, moving images as well. Mm. So it gave me what you call uh, the academic side of right, things. Right. And then I, there's a very big uh, South Asian population in, mm. in the UK. And basically, when there are marriages, especially in the Pakistani community or um, especially in the Bangladeshi Muslim communities, yep. um, the what we call it, the nikah is separate the, the guy's side and the girl's side before they how do you call it the groom and the bride yeah. meet each other mm. the celebrations are separate wow, so the okay. men would always get pictures taken but the women don't get any pictures taken I see why is that like is that a there were just no women photographers there were not many women photographers too because they they were in that sense wanted to keep things private right so they didn't allow a male photographer to to enter their, right. their space and I started to get to know people and the word started to go around that they were looking for a female photographer. And then I actually started with wedding photography, which I right. don't do anymore. I have great respect for <laughs> wedding so photography. It's so tiring. It's so stressful. It's like... One, but all of that was in UK, right? You were mm -hmm. saying. So were there any differences to the way the wedding ceremonies were back then, like mm. compared to back here? I would say most of, if you are talking about South Asian, uh, yep. it's more conservative right. because they are first generation, yeah, right? In yeah. Singapore, we have at least a few generations. Mm. They are first generation. So I realized like, if you're first generation and your parents just migrated from India, the more you want to hold on to the customs and the tradition. Right. So it's a lot more yeah. It's a lot more traditional. It's a lot more kept wow. within their spaces. Okay. And I, I don't mean it in a negative way. To me, it was very fascinating, mm. you know, as a Singaporean Tamil going there and yeah. discovering this. So I really started from there. And then I also worked in a photo studio. Mm. And that was when it really started to kickstart things a little. And I started to believe in myself more. Um, I fell in love with a fashion <laughs> photographer I'm yep. no longer in a relationship with him, but oh, wow. he was the one who really pushed everything for me and mm. opened my eyes to yep. the world of photography within London and um, really was like, you need to do something about your pictures. And yep. we used to go around the east side of London and we would just shoot and, and shoot. just photograph every single day. And I think he made me fall in love with light again mm. and I've always remained grateful to him even though the relationship did not yep. last mm. I mean this is like a decade ago yep. so after that I paused for a while and I was like you know I really want to take this further mm. and I'm in the center where you know there's so many opportunities there's so many places that I could tap into and then I worked for a bit I saved a bit and then I did my masters in photojournalism and documentary photography so you you already need to know the technical aspect but yep. you learn how to uh, then weave from single powerful images uh, and then you make them into stories basically right. so mm -hmm. that I would say changed my life and yeah. set me on that pathway to to where I am today and met many wonderful people on the course yeah. yeah i mean 
I realized that, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, that fashion photographer that mm. you talked about uh, and how he made you fall in love with light mm. again. Yeah. So I noticed the word again. Again, yeah. So what happened <laughs> in between? Like, uh, I guess, I mean, I think it was always there, but I think... Were you caught up with many other things? Mm, I was definitely caught up with many other things. Um, I was photographing, but not necessarily enjoying it. Didn't know where yeah. I stand. Didn't know how else I could. Yeah, yeah, it became a job. I didn't know how else I could push it. Um, I mean, I was still very much a beginner, you know? And yeah. so... I think that's what I meant by yeah. making me fall in love with mm. photography or Yeah, so just to backtrack a bit, like how mm. old were you when 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 all of this happened? Like when you first moved to London and you know, <gasps> you captured a wedding <laughs> and stuff like that. I was twenty one, turning to twenty two when I moved to London. When I started to capture weddings, I would say I was about twenty four. Wow. So it took me a while to settle mm. and but I was in between then I was still photographing mm. but not weddings yet yeah. because obviously it takes time to to, get to grow there, that yeah. that base you know yeah I know the courage right to even do that yeah some of these big days I was like wow you trust me I've never done this before <laughs> so how long did that last like the whole like um, documenting weddings and all that that actually carried forward when I came to Singapore too oh wow yeah. because with the portfolio you know yeah that. with the portfolio and also I came here with you know um, I've been away for like quite a while so obviously I'm not going to get assignments like straight away so yeah. you you want to source out for jobs that would you know pay the bills and mm. things like that so there were a couple of like jobs that were already like coming in mm. like through word of mouth Yeah. and yeah so that rolled on until I stopped I think I stopped maybe 2017 wow. yeah around okay. then I was it's, like it's yeah. quite crazy right thinking about it like you went from you know um, you started out taking random pictures and then yeah. eventually you did weddings. Yeah. And then somehow after that, after a while, you were crowned by Magnum mm. for one of the awards, right? Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. Oh my God. Magnum is a huge <laughs> thing, man. I mean, it is I, a I huge love your thing. books and all this. Yeah. I mean, it's an agency which has such a, you know, long, prestigious track yeah. record of, you know, really amazing uh, photographers whom quite a number of them whom I really uh, admire as well. Um, this story which I shot was in Singapore and the project is called 6.9. Um, so back in 2013, you know, the government passed the whole announcement about the white paper about increasing the population to 6.9. Mm. So I documented what were the places and spaces that would be, you know, affected by this so-called projected population boom I, I know that the figure has increased to be a lot more now yeah. uh. <laughs> so well, I came at the time where it was quite happening right. okay happening not in a good way I, I mean like like Bukit Brown Cemetery which I didn't really know much about and then come to realise that a lot of our pioneers of Singapore actually buried in this cemetery you know mm. like Tan Tok Singh the first yeah. female doctor who's well, apparently Lee Kuan Yew's cousin is mm. buried in Bukit Brown like lots of like road names which you see yeah. who are named after these individuals are present and buried at Bukit Brown and you can see their pictures on the grave as well you know which is really a walk through history yeah. and I didn't know much about that and then also came along that they the announcement that they were going to exhume like 3,000 tombs to, to build like a road or like a highway through it or like a pass through it 
And um, I got to know like the brownies who are like the people who take others around the cemetery and talk them what the history were. I got to know the tomb keepers. Wow. I got to know the descendants who are coming to visit their ancestors' tombs. Like like every day I was at the cemetery, my parents were like, Hey, like, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Even the tomb keeper was like, hey, enough, uh, you should just go home. You're here more than me. <laughs> You're more than me. And, but I found it really peaceful. I photographed Kampong Bongkok. I photographed like, you know, the migrant workers as well. Mm. I photographed um, Singaporeans with different realities and sort of their reaction to this announcement. And it was actually a project for my, my master's uh, right. photojournalism course. And I was like, I'm going to go home to photograph because I think it's always a lot more complicated to shoot in your own country because everything looks familiar to you, right? Wow, that's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. so I was like, okay, mm. no, I want to go back and, and do that. And so I actually, the Magnum had an open call for the 30 under 30 uh, documentary photographers, like internationally, mm. they, they were like having an open call to to select um, for this uh, competition or showcase. And I think Wing it. <laughs> we were farting so much because it was the end of the course that we almost missed the deadline. Oh my God. I mean, I was quite young. La. Then yeah. so my friend was like, hey, come on, we should just apply our project. You never know like where it go, you know, and you know, it's a lot of encouragement. So this is what I really like from my classmates. So everybody mm. was pushing each other. So I applied. I didn't think about it. Then I got the email. I got shortlisted and I was like, oh my God. And then- How do you feel? I don't know. It was a very strange- feeling I still didn't believe it um and then when I did finally get selected it was a really nice uh encouragement but I would also <laughs> advise everyone like don't rely so much on competitions um I think it's of course very good to get your work yeah. out and you know apply and things like that but also do realize that the best and really good photographers also get rejected. Like, eh, most mm. of the time, we actually get rejected. Yeah, and that's actually a point I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Just like, you know, I would imagine being crowned, you know, like mm. one of the magnum top yeah. 30 under 30 and all that. It's very prestigious. Mm -hmm. So, did, you know, did jobs just come or was it hard? Like, just mm. coming back to Singapore and transitioning mm. to the market and all that. Like, you talk about rejections, right? How was that yeah. for you? So, I mean, I think with the magnum, top 30 under 30 it did help some editors to notice me uh, but of course it didn't immediately boom you know like mm. jobs were like flowing in no it was more of like individuals who wanted to interview me or sort of put my work more mm. out there so a lot of my name and my works were getting out mm. uh, I guess in the digital and in the print space but no the assignments didn't come knocking immediately I was very worried I was like oh my god <laughs> I'm gonna go back to Singapore I'm gonna back <laughs> I'm gonna die that's it <laughs> uh, but I mean to me it was a great encouragement as I said like it really gave me a good boost like look okay I've got something let's push it let's work on it let's you know let's let's go for it you know so it was a really nice nice encouragement factor uh, but no it didn't come immediately hmm. so uh, it was very worrying. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I had to take a lot of wedding jobs, events mm. jobs, just nothing wrong with it at all, but it yeah. was not what I really wanted to 100% do. Mm. Uh, but I took that because you need to be clever to survive. Not to say yeah. I'm clever, la, but I'm just saying like you need to survive. You cannot just sit down there and think the assignment yeah. is going to arrive mm. right away. No, it's not going to arrive. It's always going to be bread and butter jobs, right? Things yeah. Things that put on the table. Yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. So, and then the rejections, of course, like when you apply for like a grant or when you apply for some other competition, yeah, of course you get, sorry, you did not get selected. Sorry, it's a no, 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 no. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of like, 
knows or when you pitch to someone and they're like, yeah, we're looking to it, we're interested, we want to get it published and then suddenly you don't hear from them. So how do you handle that? You know? Mm, so yeah. it was quite, it was really difficult, I would say, in the first few years to get used to all of that and, you know, to yeah. get your foothold into the industry. Mm. But, yeah. Wow, I can somehow. imagine like just, you know, you're almost, you, you were crowned one of the, you know, nicest awards and mm. then suddenly, things get taken away again. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I have friends who, like, if you look at World Press, that's like the uh, um, Oscars of photojournalism. And I have friends who've won the World Press photo and then they tell me, yeah, everything starts to flood for like the first few months and then it starts to get really quiet, you Mm. know? And then you still have to, again, market yourself, put yourself out there, remind the editors, hey, I exist because it's such Mm. a competitive industry. How do you stand out? against yeah. the others you know mm. like you need to create your own voice yeah. I feel so I guess during that lull period mm. when you know you're still trying to get mm. things together and all that were you still creating projects for yourself like yeah, yourself? yeah I did so you I never mean, stopped I I mean um, creating projects not like every week create project lah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, but like, like I did a bit I mean like I when I came back I <laughs> I went off to Sri Lanka and I went up to the north the northern province to the northeastern province where um, the Tamil minorities are at and Mm. I went to cover a story which talked about the second largest, a second highest number of disappearances in the world actually comes from Sri Lanka Mm. and most of them are actually Tamils and I knew about that because a lot of them are actually asylum seekers uh, Mm. in the UK and I got to know their stories because my uncle who used to live in the UK used to translate and when he used to come back and bring back the stories and when I used to hear the the war crime atrocities that were committed in the country and how the Tamil people who were stuck in between the conflict and of course the others as well who were affected by it really drawn me into trying to document this because Mm. I felt there was a lot of write-ups coming from the region but not much imagery, but that's also because of like security and access and things like that. Mm. Um, so I, there was a change at that point of time in the cabinet and as well as precedents and things like that. So I was like, okay, this is the right time for me to go and travel. And I was there for one and a half months wow. and I did a project there. <laughs> I didn't even pitch it to any editor, but I was just really, really determined to to mm. cover that, that it work. It felt right, right? Yeah, it felt Timing right. Timing was right. Mm, Timing yeah. was right. It took, me, it took me four years to publish that work. Wow. Yeah. It's- is, is that your longest project then, you would uh, say? So, I mean, I only took one and a half months to cover it. I mean, mm. it's something which I would like to come back and cover it in other sort of possible angles. But I would say it's, yeah, it was very hard to get it yeah. published because um, editors were interested in it. But a lot of them was like, why should it concern us? Right. You know? Mm. Um, wow. Does it align with our politics? I mean, I'm getting a bit political over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, there was a lot of the other side of the industry, which I yeah. started to really understand. But then I think eventually NPR picked it up and it was published um, at the 10th year commemoration, not commemoration, I'd say the 10th year anniversary of the, since when the conflict had ended. So mm. that was in 2019. And um, which I feel also worked then because a lot of the news saw mm. I guess the trending hashtags yeah. or the algorithm were picking up about yeah. Sri Lanka at that point of time. Yeah. Oh. So I pursued that and 
other sort of smaller you projects. Super free spirited, like you know, anytime I'm ready to pack my bag and go. Like, yeah. Like how's how's the family reaction to this? You know. I mean, I think at first they were like, I don't know what the hell she's doing, and then they were quite worried. I mean, <laughs> I can imagine, right? Like, yeah. Just, you know, I mean, even by yourself. Yeah. At that point, you were in your late twenties. Yeah, was I you? was. How old was I? I think yeah, late, very late twenties. Yeah. I didn't even tell my dad I was going to go to Sri Lanka because he understands what has happened over there because yeah. he used to draw the maps out mm. and things. But I think eventually he did find out. He said, you better not be going up to the, <laughs> the north, northern east <laughs> province. I was like, oh, that's exactly where I'm at. Oh my God. So it was only after I covered everything that I showed him the work. And um, yeah, it was not, it was not easy to cover. I mean, a lot of them think that when a conflict has ended, then, you know, everything else has, you know, Cuts, come. Right? Yeah. No, it's th that's when the real work actually starts. And, wow. um, what yeah, do you so, mean by that? Like, like So, you know, when you've been traumatized by 26 years of war mm. and you've known or you've seen family members who have passed on, um, when you're kind of suppressed in the environment and, you, you can't really grieve publicly. A lot of it is really contained internally in the person. So when they start to talk to you about their lives and um, tell you their stories, mm. you cannot imagine the sorrow. I mean, even until yeah. now, I can never be able to fully understand yeah. because I'm not in the same place mm. as they are. And also to recognize the privilege I have that mm. I'm able to pack my bags and go back home and yeah. I'm in a very safe space, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was it was really hard. Mm. It was really, really hard. So like, well, then, you know, if things like that were to always happen, because you put yourself in situations where, you know, that's your work, right? Mm -hmm. You have to put yourself in difficult situations. You have yeah. to talk to people. Yeah. And then you almost have to take away pictures with you. So mm. how do you manage you know your own mm. emotions you know while you're there like yeah <laughs> how does that work do you were there nights where you're just bawling yourself out or uh, no no I didn't I didn't I think it took me a while to really um, I mean I felt really I was kind of numb for a while because you're hearing it every single day you're seeing you're seeing yeah. the emotions you're, you are sort of placed in the environment so I really try my best because if I if I start crying in front of the person also, then oh yeah. my god, it's going to like. <laughs> so, I mean, I try my best, but you know, sometimes it is hard you to like really control your emotions, and it's it's different when they talk in your mother tongue as well. So it's like mm. from Tamil to Tamil, the the words they use is different. It's 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 more um, powerful in that yeah. sense. And I I didn't talk to anyone when I was there because also for like, you know, just kind of really wanted to keep myself concentrated on the work. Uh, only had one person I communicated with regularly, like every two days once. Mm. And I would just come back. I would rest for a while and I won't even look at the pictures mm. of what I've taken. And in fact, when I came back to Singapore, I didn't even look at the work for at least two months. Wow. Yeah, because there was a lot. To take. Yeah. yeah, because at the end, I remember my best friend came over and we were just going to have a few days break down the, in the southern part of Sri Lanka before mm. we went back. And I think I wasn't really myself. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, you just put yourself there for like one and a half months. Yeah. And, you know, it's difficult to just strip away and 
get the identity out it's of you. It's very right? difficult. And I think it's very important. I mean, this is just a post-conflict thing, right? There are photographers who do go into a conflict zone and, you know, you witness things which are, you know, yeah. you can't even explain mm. that to yeah. the audience or, of course, you don't want to put it through your pictures because of ethical reasons yeah. and, you know, caring for the other individuals as well. But I think, yeah, there's a lot of PTSD which comes along with that. And I think from what I have heard through the talks of other photographers, it's important to be able to talk to another individual who would exactly understand what you're going through. Hmm. Yeah. Or to at least just listen, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. You definitely need an outlet and you can yeah. just talk to the wall. I mean, mm. you can, but... <laughs> You won't get any response. No, but I think it's important. Even yeah. a small story, it can be even within Singapore, you're covering a story which is like, which is sad. You know, let's say you're covering what someone who's going through a terminal illness, yeah. you know, mm. or someone, if you're talking about the, the topic of depression, for yeah. an example, mm. these are hard topics, man. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you need, you need like a sounding board. Like you cannot put yeah. everything inside you or else, I think, I think you'll burn out. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, then, would teaching then be mm. like another outlet for you? Because yeah. I mean, you you went from taking pictures like yeah. that actually tells very heartbreaking mm. stories and mm, then, mm. you know, another side of you, you're lecturing, you're teaching. Mm. So do you, are these actually lessons or things you share with your students or what kind of teaching do you do as well? Uh, so I would have to like give a major thanks to objectives because I, they they were a pivotal part of my photography journey. Like I think without them, I confirm wouldn't mm. be wow. able Why to survive. Because they were the connecting point uh, with me and other photographers. And they are such an encouraging and supportive team that, you know, they, reg they also regularly push out really amazing works. Mm. Um, yeah. But they are always there for you. They're always there to support you, to engage in a conversation with you. They are always open to look at your works or even not your works. They just want to know you as an individual. And I think they have created like a really um, amazing community, which I think would not have existed without them. So mm. they were one of the first places I tapped into when I came to Singapore mm. and connected with everyone and you know understood the scene in Southeast Asia yeah. even better through them and they are also the ones who uh, you know gave me the opportunity to teach so I teach like um, basic photography uh, you know some months of the year to uh, something which I started which is really new which started last year for me was storytelling through photography so that mm. happens over like two months where you really work with the uh, the students to work on a local story and how you piece it together and you sequence it. So I've been doing that and then they've also tied me up with other schools for me to, you know, mm. give one-off teaching or it could yeah. be like a series of it which has been like coming back or circling back to your question. Uh, yeah, I do I do share the experiences with them. Um, students, I mean, kids or anyone who's a lot more younger, they are very, very curious. Mm. Uh even the adults who attend the storytelling class, um, I mean, they are in that zone where they want to learn. Mm. So I really enjoy uh, giving back because I feel photography, when we take pictures, I, I feel like we take a lot and then we yeah. don't really give, give back. back. How, mm. how do you give back, right? So I'm trying yeah. in whatever ways like this to give back somehow and and I truly enjoy, I truly enjoy that sharing 
aspect. Mm. And and also looking at what they come up with, you know, it's it's sometimes they are so untainted by or not influenced by the industry or by their the photographers whom they might admire. So the work which they come up with is is very raw and I really mm. enjoy that that process. Yeah. yeah. The students like what mm. kind of students are they like? You know, you have you have young. Yeah. yeah what's, so, what's the younger uh, spectrum like? Uh, youngest, uh, I did give a okay youngest. So I also did a bit of teaching in the UK. The youngest I had was <laughs> eight years old, uh, But wow. that one is like wow, very young. Um, they very were very funny images. Right? Yeah, really abstract. <laughs> they were really cute. The conversations <laughs> were were really like different. Um, but I, if you want to say like who were the youngest, like say serious ones, I would say. 12. Hmm. Then the question is like, who sent them there? Like, is it mm. out of their own in- interest or do you think there's Singaporean parents being kiasu? Uh, like, hey, you have to pick up another skill. No, no. Mm. Actually, it's interesting because the parents are like very supportive and they notice their child has picked something up and the child is curious about photography or, you know, maybe must have expressed an interest in, in, in pictures. And then mm. they actually kind of not push them. They're like, hey, if you want to, these are the causes and objectives. And then they that's what happened with the 12 year old kid actually it was all older woman in the class and he was the only youngest oh one and he was really tiny so as well but he produced like wow amazing pictures but because he was still quite small whatever pictures he took right the, the head would be chopped off <laughs> so I always had to get him to angle the picture up but then in school obviously it's not parents it's mm. an arrangement with the teachers or right, like with the right. curriculum like what do they want to introduce like maybe they already have like a media sort of CCA mm. or they have a photography club then they, they get me or they get some other instructor obviously tie in together objectives to come in and teach like a block of lessons or it could be a one-off sort of thing depending oh. on what we decide to work with them on mm. yeah and how about you then like you know growing up um you know you <coughs> picked up a camera because of your dad too and when you eventually decided this is the thing mm. you want to go for in life mm. like were there any kind of objections or was it all just mm. super supportive like from your parents your family my parents were super supportive. Like, yeah. I think, thank God, uh, my, my dad is like artist, you know, so he yeah. knows, he understands. And I think they knew I was always in the arts and knew this is where I was going to end up being in. Mm. So they were really very, very, very supportive and super cool. But obviously they were like, Ayo, how are you going to make money, you know? But interestingly, it was very distant relatives not my immediate relatives because even they were very cool about it mm. but it was distant relatives people whom I didn't really know that well yeah, uh, had would, something to say yeah they had something to say so they would be like what future do you have you know yeah. out of this like what are you going to do you mm. know uh, how far are you going to go oh my god I can't believe your parents are like supporting you what, what do they have to say about this and I was like whoa, whoa. so did they see what you shot? <laughs> Did they know what magnanimous you think? I don't know. <laughs> but luckily, I didn't say anything yeah. at that point. La. I just said, okay, I'm just going to... Time will tell. Yeah. I mean, at that point also, I was like, ah, uh, okay, you can just see for yourself. But it's not like me, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. But yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. Most importantly, like, I'm... I really do acknowledge I'm very lucky that my parents are supportive and again that's a privilege for me because I do know friends whose parents were also not supportive and there were like larger barriers for them to overcome and yeah. for me that was not there so mm. I'm, I'm like very thankful for that uh, wow. yeah okay then I just want to talk a little bit about commercial work yeah right? I mean you mentioned that mm. you said your share of weddings and all that but 
do you do any other kinds of commercial works and how do you balance between mm. creating those works yeah. and also yeah, your photojournalistic images? Because yeah. I would imagine like it's going to be quite different, right? The way you approach yeah. work like that. It's very different. I guess with commercial sort of stuff, it's a lot more technical. Mm. It's a lot more, I'm not saying that photojournalism doesn't have planning, but a lot of it is moments that unfold sometimes that you have to photograph it for what it is. You, you're not allowed to stage, right? But with, with uh, more commercial projects I think there's a lot more planning there's a lot more discussion with your client sort of expectations you know bringing extra equipment in or really um, understanding the brief that is given to you but I also think that nowadays with commercial work they are also hiring documentary photographers or photojournalists like us because they want to bring a different sort of style mm. into the work. They don't want the same, like, yeah, everything very is... Very composed, perfect. Y- yes, yeah, yes. Because I think yeah. the appeal to, like, documentary photography yeah. is really how authentic it feels. Yeah. It's almost, you're an observer, mm-hmm. right? And then, mm. there's just a different perspective, right? right? Yeah. Not everything is so crafted and mm. lit so perfectly. I think there's, there's a yeah. lot of the requests are turning towards that, which I'm really enjoying mm. yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, sadly for me, not. Um, it's still a lot of this yeah, kind of very no, crafted no, work. Yeah. But it's fun too. Then, so with that being said, you know there has been the rise of like uh, AI and all that oh kind God. of stuff. And 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 <laughs> I've seen people. Yeah. I mean, there's this new feature. I don't mm. know whether you know. Uh, on it Photoshop is like? called generative fill. Wow. I'm like damn this, boomer when it comes yeah. to this man. <laughs> but basically, you select any part mm-hmm. of any images yeah even a blank white picture uh-huh. you can select like let's say a square block and then a prompt will come up uh-huh. you, you can type why, why, like whatever you want like uh-huh. let's say um, a mountain like like a dis- distant mountain or something and then they will just generate the, that mountain for you in, so in the they, they get the images from the internet and yes, stuff right yes. so it's like the pictures of other yes. individuals yeah. who I have mean, taken I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I think what they do is they get a images from online like that <coughs> database and whatnot right and then they composite and make a new one for you mm, and then mm. you know how do you feel about things like that like because i could imagine that would be quite dangerous right especially in your field where it people is. could just make things up and Absolute. has that happened or? it has okay. i think i recently saw something along yeah. those lines yeah Oh my god, I forgot his name, but I also do want to create yeah. a witch hunt. <laughs> okay, so um, I think this whole talk about the AI technology is definitely very interesting. Um, I think if you're trying to get creative or artistic with it, I don't have any issues. I think I, it's it's interesting to see how far you can go with it, but I think it's a problem when it comes to photojournalism or you know, with documentary photography where our work is meant to convey the truth. I mean, of course, when you talk about documentary, you can be creative, but when you're using AI technology to, I don't know how it works, but it rips the images of other Mm. people's works and then create something for you. And then you pass that off as uh, photojournalism that is not ethically right, in Mm. my opinion. And I'm very against it. Mm. Um, So I think... There was a photographer who was using AI imagery and he was also selling that as NFTs and also passing that off as photojournalism, which I thought was really wrong because mm. what was your what was your prompts? Why did yeah. you use, decide to use that prompts? Mm. Uh, 
you know, as someone who he was a complete outsider to that country. So mm. in my opinion, like you already have a position of privilege to be able yeah. to tap into this area and then yeah. to also capitalize on somebody else's trauma and sell that as NFTs. And then it's, yeah, it's, it's just really messy. Mm. Uh, there was also, um, another brand which I will not mention uh, and they were going to uh, they were going to use AI technology to come up with uh, ethic ethnically diverse models uh, to oh. model their clothes which to me eh, you just why don't you just yeah, make just, the effort to go and hire just get a real people yeah and yeah. it was a really big company mm. and that really really pissed me off. So things like mm. that really pisses me off when mm. people start to get a bit lazy and yeah. rely on that technology in that way. But I also understand when others want to get creative and not use it for the purpose of photojournalism but create something new. I think that's yeah. interesting and I'm not against that. I'm mm. not like a... I'm yeah, not like, like a purist. I'm not a purist yeah, yeah, in that sense. I can understand it's, it's exciting. People want to tap into it. They want to be creative. But I think it's a problem when it's photojournalism and then you want to pass it off as something mm. real, you know, mm. or you're trying, oh, I'm trying to convey the truth. Then any other individual then who does not understand the ethics or respect their boundaries might turn into AI technology and also it's getting scary because as the years goes by, it's probably going to get more and more realistic mm. and how would you know if it's real or if yeah, it's fake? It's, so scary, right? it's very, very, very scary. So yeah, I can imagine too. Yeah, so I'm quite uh, generally quite... <laughs> pessimistic about the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> likewise yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay then um, I think in closing to the first part yeah. I actually have this question that I ask yeah. most of my friends who mm -hmm. take photos right yeah. and it's always like a very casual question but it makes them think a lot mm -hmm. so like you know, I, I mean if you have your last day here yeah. what do you think would be that one final photograph for you like who oh. will you turn to who will you point your lens at my family for sure 100% Mm. you know I think I've photographed everyone else I mean even now I'm working on a personal project which is slowly to turning towards my family but I think nothing's more precious than the people around you so it will be them without a doubt yeah oh, that's nice <laughs> <Okay>. Imoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah